0: Welcome to the Matt and Dez Experience. Matt and Dez Gonzalez are the founders of Kingdom Culture Ministries, a nonprofit organization that specializes in training, consulting, and resourcing leaders. Join them as they talk about life, family, faith, and all things prophetic. Now let's get to today's episode of the Matt and Dez Experience.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Matt and Dez Experience. I'm your co host, Matt Gonzalez. Today we are in Amarillo, Texas, and actually uh, Canyon, Canyon, Texas. And uh, we're here with Dub Alexander, Drew Neal, Brian Orman, Dan McCollum at the reformers conference here for this weekend dub talk a little bit about this gathering because you kind of brought it all together
2: yeah man it's been a great time so far and we've only had really the opening vip night the actual uh, conference begins tomorrow but it's already been a great time you know there is such a hunger uh for people to get practicality when it comes to seeing change occur in systems and so as, uh, as the four of us and uh, hanging out with Dano, who is a mentor to all of us, have just begun this conversation of what does it look like to actually see a reformational move take place in the kingdom, Come on. Um, you know, people are just have been attracted to that. And so, you know, even just last night, we had people from like seven different states that have flown in, you know, Come on. to be a part of this. And we're just looking to start something that's sustainable.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Why don't we hit a previous episode called From Revival to Reformation. This is a follow-up episode with you guys, and we've kind of termed, this group's kind of, we kind of come up with a name. What's that name again?
2: So we jokingly started calling ourselves the Reformation Alliance (laughs) as kind of an ode or a tribute to the Revival Alliance, and uh, it's just kind of stuck so far.
1: So you guys, all you guys up on here, we got Drew Neal from Detroit, Brian Orr from San Diego. And then, you know, Dan McCollum from Vacaville. Some of you guys have been on our episode, been to the mission in Vacaville. So, guys, let's talk about this. So what does it mean to go from revival to reformation or how do we build uh, reformation upon revival? Anybody want to go ahead and go after that question first? How about you, Drew? Go for it
3: i think uh well first of all hello everybody how you doing welcome to the matt and Dez experience i'm actually like deep this morning it's kind <laughs> of early it's it's, it's got, sounding good though, i got bro. my radio voice going on <laughs> no i just sound this way um anyways <laughs> it's that detroit soul that's what it is come on. on motown baby come on talk about it um man i love this t- conversation matt that we're having because i think uh one of the things that the revival community which has brought so much strength to me in the last 10 years is that there's, there's kind of a progressive step that I think is available for us linked to this reformation conversation. And it's, that I believe reformation gives a target for revivalists. Yeah. And, and so it's not about disqualifying revival or, or rec- creating an antithesis of revival. It's no revival is a foundation. It's an experience. It's about what's happened inside of me. I've been revived now go reform the world around me, the structures that serve relationship. And and so what what I think is really powerful, and this question got asked last night in the VIP and I've been thinking about it because I didn't like my answer. And I talked about unity in the church and how it impacts solutions being available. And I think the question before we ask about the unity of the church to find solutions has to be has to be is am I unified with myself? And I think what revival does is Revival allows me to be whole and be unified and aligned on my, on the inside so that when I go engage the structures that need Reformation, that my brokenness doesn't lead me um, and get me what in all kinds of interesting situations. And I think there's just something exciting about revival that allows me to become whole, have that encounter with the Lord, become aligned, find out who I am that then allows me to be healthy enough to, to go engage really, really complicated confrontational things that I can't uh, that I need to be healthy for to go through the process on. And so I, I like to say revival's for me and reformations for the world around me, that we can see the restoration of all things. So that's uh, that's my my take.
1: What about you guys? Brian, Daniel, anyone wanna jump in about that?
4: Yeah, I think revival to me, try to put it into a phrase, it's just recapturing first love. It's coming back to that integrating spirit, soul, body, to that oneness with who we are with Christ, but then I'm now compelled by love to do something, and I think that's the progression from revival to reformation is I've encountered this love again. Now I need to do something with this, and I'm compelled. Like Paul said, hey, if you're going to be compelled to do something, be compelled by love when you do it. And because of that, I now look at the world with a whole different lens, and I think what, and I agree with, with Drew, revival's been a huge impact in my life but I've also had a place of frustration, seeing that there hasn't been a progression. And, uh, and I think that's where God's bringing in everything and uh, aligning everything for his purpose, is that to realize, hey, the river, if you look at Ezekiel, it gets deeper, the further it gets away yep. from so the temple. Good. There's just something available that there's a greater depth if we would embrace what God's doing in the midst of the marketplace.
1: What about you, Dano? Yeah. Uh,
0: the apostolic uh, mission that Jesus gave his disciples, he said, freely you've received, freely give. I kind of see revival as freely receiving and reformation as freely giving. And it just being really it's good. simple in a sense that um, revival has had a tendency to be a gathering paradigm and reformation is a sending paradigm. And uh, in revival circles... Um, people are always trying to gather into, you know, the meetings or into the church or you know those kind of things, which is good. But, you know, <laughs> the church is not the center of the universe. Jesus is, <laughs> and and uh, and it's the building of the kingdom that he's seeking. And so, a lot of times in our gathered paradigms, we have trouble uh, translating into what that really looks like in society or how we affect society beyond going out into the world and gathering them back to our meeting place. And so transformation in society doesn't take place that way. Transformation in individuals does, but not in society. And uh, so Jesus, the whole foundation of the church is an apostolic paradigm where he appointed apostles, uh, who were, uh, cultural transformers and then he sent them into the world to establish kingdom values and uh, so the idea of Reformation takes us from
1: just a gathering paradigm to also a ascending one that's so good you know I think it was um about three years ago before we made a transition to Vacaville I was getting up and uh I was gonna I was speaking at the church it was actually uh I was gonna be speaking on revival and when I got up I just heard the Holy Spirit just kind of just drop something in my chest and just said, uh, you know, we need to go from revival to reformation. It's kind of the first time I heard that phrase. And and it was just a frustration in me because I know sometimes uh, in revival meetings, uh, sometimes the the emphasis can become on us where it's like, we we just want to have that personal encounter, which is is amazing, but then we don't have an outflow kind of like what you were saying. And I just remember having this encounter and then, a couple of days later, we were just with our, our children. I was just asking our kids, like, hey, so what do you guys want to do? You, know, you get older, you know, just kind of having that conversation. And every single one of them wanted to do something in art or music. And, you know, I'm not music. I, I mean, I don't I, I don't sing. I don't play an instrument. Never had a desire. Does Can sing some, but doesn't really. And when I heard that, suddenly I heard the Holy Spirit say, we're going to have a generation, your generation is going to help usher in reformation because their generation is going to bring in renaissance where there's going to be a, a restructuring of arts and literature in, in such a, a level that it's going to create such a culture and system within society that everything's going to come into alignment with the kingdom. And so I thought that was just fascinating because if you do a history, whenever there was a reformation, there was a renaissance that followed. I know you talked about that. And I see this next piece because I, I see, you know, the fathers that have gone before us who have kind of laid that foundation for revival. And then here we are, we're gathered together because we have a passion, which kind of drawn us together. Definitely, we, we love hanging out with one another. We, we appreciate and enjoy one another. But it's been that reformation piece. And then just thinking about our generation, even talking to you, Deb, I know your daughter like wants to go into the arts and just it's just interesting how that whole piece comes together because I feel like we are laying a foundation for a generation to come and and carry this and really kind of bring a renaissance.
2: That's one of the things that you always bring out that I really uh, appreciate and enjoy is that renaissance piece. And I feel like there's a, an immediate impact uh, factor to when it comes to, you know, if we're using the seven mountain strategy paradigm that many of us in the stream use, there's an immediate impact factor when it comes to the church mountain, the government mountain and the business mountain. Yeah. But the sustainability of change is in the family mountain and the education mountain and in the arts and entertainment mountain. (laughs) And then of course, media's job is to broadcast truth. So it should stay static. Uh, Continually. So I feel like a lot of what you're talking about too, if we will bring reformation into the church mountain, the business mountain, the government mountain, we're going to see huge strides immediately take place. But if we aren't aware that that next piece of that Renaissance has to take place, you know, with the family, with arts and entertainment and with um, education, then what we shift and change in those impact mountains uh, won't last without the, the strategic, attention being spent yeah. in the sustainability mountains.
1: Well, it even goes back to the thing like when we planted the church in Stockton, one of the questions I felt like the Lord was asking me is like, will you guys plant a church thinking three generations ahead? Like who are the church planners? Who are the ones that are gonna actually think generation? Like I'm thinking generationally. And I think this is some of the things that we're talking about right now, just kind of hashing out is like, how can we build with the generations ahead of us in mind? And because I don't know if... If maybe we've seen that in the past, specifically maybe with revival, I'm just you know just talking out loud, but like if we could have a grasp of the generations before us and build according with that, I think that will help kind of transfer that and make it sustainable. But just just some thoughts. But talk to me, talk to me, guys, about Reformation. What you guys see happening? Uh, just even some things that you feel like are going to happen this weekend.
0: You know, for me, Solomon said he applied himself. To wisdom and understanding and we know that there have been revivals in the past such as the welsh revival of 1904 that had a cultural impact um on morality and and, you know it's reported that the court system shut down because they had no cases to try and (laughs) things like that which uh was not sustainable actually Mm. because it wasn't a change in system it was a change in internal character that's so good so there was a rebirth in mankind but there was not a rebirth within society and some of our listeners might not be familiar with the term renaissance but it actually was the the period from the 14th to the 17th century where uh culture experienced a rebirth yeah and the renaissance means rebirth and so we know that in christianity That as individuals, we must be born again. When we talk about Renaissance, we're talking about the rebirth of society. It actually having a born again experience in a way of being so utterly restructured after kingdom values that it looks entirely different, you know. And so what happened in the Welsh revival and other revivals is that there was this kind of field of dreams idea that if we could get everybody saved, then society would operate in perfect order, and uh, and that's actually not true because there have to be so systems. There are kingdoms yep. of the world yep. that are not um, evil, but they're awaiting new birth. They're awaiting redemption. They're yeah. awaiting a reformation or a or a terraforming that would uh, that would alter their structure and cause a rebirth within society and so one of the things that was so reformational about solomon is that he was not just flowing in wisdom but he applied himself to understand he he applied himself to pursue wisdom and then to uh institute that change within society the church what we're calling the great reformation 500 years ago catholics would call protestantism mm-hmm. which is and and unfortunately the church has been more polarized towards the protest than the reform yep and um and so a protester stands outside the gate and shouts what is wrong yeah and the reformer gets inside the system find out what is good about now but helps take us to a more desirable future. That's so good. And so the church has to embrace their role from more of a a protester to a reformer.
1: That's so... Wow, that's... And that's it
3: for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you later.
1: Oh, this is this is good.
3: You know what Dana
2: just talked about so strikes a chord with me as I know that I'm called to raise up statesmen because there's such a drive in our culture today for people to be activists. And it's almost like this badge of honor if you're out there being an activist. Um, And I take some heat from this. I did a podcast on this before and I got some emails. You can send those to dubdoesn'tcare.com. But activists complain and shout about stuff. Statesmen learn how to infiltrate the system. They learn the protocols, the procedures, and they, they infiltrate the system. They learn how it works. They receive wisdom from the Lord and then they shift the systems to create the change that they want. They don't stand outside of the gates and cry about it, they infiltrate and they bring change. And so that's something that we as kingdom people have to do. We've got to be wise and 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 learn the systems, learn how to carry ourselves in those systems and go in and be the change, not cry out for the change, go and create the change. And so anyway, I had to hop on the soapbox for a minute.
1: <laughs> that's so good. You know, I've been kind of just... Thinking about this whole concept, I think many times what has happened is sometimes we we have um, you know I was uh, thinking about this thought, you guys. Um, I'm feeling what, what is needed too is that we need to have we need to see a new breed of reformers that are clothed in humility, because I feel like the humility piece will help us to gain the language that will go into hearts, where sometimes you know um, I've I've seen people who. Um, Maybe are carrying a reformation piece, but they're so. Um, I guess the best way you could say, it, rather than tear somebody's house down, build them a better, build, 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 build them a better one. And I think sometimes in that aspect of reformation, wanting to see it so bad that we could actually tear something down without building something for someone.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, I, I was thinking about this this morning as as I woke up that. I think there's a uh kind of a energy right now behind finding disruptive technologies, and the challenge of disruptive technology is it's not always redemptive um, There are disruptions that need to occur, yeah you know for sure, but we we should not just be looking for disruptors within within business so within culture we should be looking for uh what is redemptive within yeah. culture what what benefits the most amount of people with the greatest amount of good. That's so good. And, um, and, and so there's, there's a different focus to that. You know, we talk a lot about the seven mountain mandate, which is, you know, government and education, family and business and arts and entertainment and media, which is, which is awesome to, uh, to infiltrate those mountains. But there's a lot of people playing king of the mountain. They want to, they want to go up and push the people that are on those mountains off the mountain. And that's not, that's not the spirit of reformation that we're talking about. You know, Daniel came alongside of four different governments from four different nations yeah. and served every king equally with kingdom values. So good. And his ultimate goal was not necessarily conversion, um, not that he wasn't evangelistic yeah. because there was conversion that took place, but it was to serve with kingdom values in a way that would rightly represent the king and his kingdom. And um and that's not king of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And so as we talk about the Seven Mountain mandate, there's a lot of people that are approaching it with a King of the Mountain attitude, yep. you know, let's climb this mountain, push the others off and Christians will take over. That might be the worst possible idea I've heard in years.
1: Yes.
3: <laughs> you know, I've I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately, uh just, you know, the I'm sure we've all heard it people who are maybe in an intercessory prayer meeting or, you know, an end of a service, a spontaneous moment, and people want to talk about the wealth of the wicked and, you know, the, and they're praying for God to give them the wealth of the wicked, you know, because it's stored up for the righteous. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> and, oh, and, and dubbed to, uh, you know, saying earlier, and Matt, you are saying yeah. also is that <clears throat> there's, there's this need for us not to tear down. Yeah. And, and I think to the point, even when it comes to money, it's we actually don't need to steal the money of the wicked. We need to create such a powerful opportunity for them that's so innovative and so right for the culture that they can't help but wanna give us their money because it's such a good decision. So good. And so I, I like to say it like this, God's love for you is for you, but God's favor on you is for them. And I had, I had this, this, this moment, um, there's a city in, in Michigan called Frankenmuth, and in Frankenmuth, it's like this little Germany. It's like little Bavaria, if you will. And a German family settled this this little city. And uh, the, the great-great-grandmother, the family, had this um, chicken recipe, which is not g- German at yeah. all. But that's what she had. She had this great fried chicken recipe. And so she opened up a restaurant and and they make chicken. And so now the chicken's famous. So now you go to Frankenmuth, which was a city started by this German family to go have Chicken and so when you go there, it's like all you can eat chicken, and it's it's basically Thanksgiving dinner plus chicken that will change your life. So, so now there's this. Now they have lodges and there's hotels and there's water parks and there's 365 days a year of Christmas and like it's like one of the happiest places on earth in Michigan. So, so my wife loves Frankenmuth and she loves it so much in her childhood that we actually got married at Frankenmuth and uh, this was like this destination wedding and we served chicken <laughs> at our you know at, in the reception so now we we, we trek to mecca you know once a year with the kids and uh, it's true love it is and and so we stay at the lodge the kids go to the water park you know we do the whole thing and you got to have chicken dinner but you know you can't eat chicken 10 times while you're there you got to eat something else yeah. and so melissa was like well drew what do you, you know we're hungry what do you want to eat and i'm like "Well, let's go get some mexican food Come so on. we look on yelp we go and we find this place you know, and it had, you know, a bunch of stars on y'all, like, this should be good. We get there. It's a long wait. We're like, that's a good sign. We're hungry, but we're willing to wait for good food. So we wait, you know, an hour to get in and we sit down. And for me, I don't know about you guys, but the test of any good Mexican restaurant is all about the salsa. I mean, if the salsa is terrible, like it's whatever. So you wait, but you find out at the beginning of your meal, which actually isn't you know, set you up for a good experience or a bad experience right from the beginning. So we sit down and wait 10 minutes to get waited on. I'm like, this is crazy. What's taking forever. You know, then the salsa comes out. It's terrible. Oh, like man. picante oh, is no. better than this. No, and picante no. is the trash can, you know? Oh, and so like, it was just terrible experience. All the food is bad. The service was bad. I'm like, how can this be possible? How does this have this many stars on Yelp? Why is this restaurant packed?
1: We're going to so, Taco Bell.
3: So I, <laughs> So we pull out, and now I'm hustrated. You guys ever been hustrated? See, hangry is when you're angry and and you haven't had food. Hustrated is when you paid for bad food. So I'm driving, and I'm hustrated. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I just paid money for this. This is terrible. And uh, you guys can use that. You're welcome. And uh, and so, like, we're driving, and and the Lord's like, Drew, do you want to know? why bad Mexican exists in Frankenmuth. I'm like, yes, Lord. And I want to get Old Testament on these guys because I just, he's an I'm kidding. And so he, I was like, yes, Lord, why? He said, because of the favor on chicken. He said, Drew, there's so much favor on chicken that it allows for someone who didn't steward their capacity to run a restaurant to have a restaurant that will thrive. He's like, Drew, God's love, my love for you is for you, but my favor on you is meant to be taken advantage of. And there's something powerful about the idea that those who are faithful will always create opportunities or the coattail moment where people can take advantage of your favor. And like, I was so convicted Mm -hmm. in that moment because the Lord was like, Drew, aren't you taking advantage of my favor right now? Wow. Every single day aren't you abusing my favor? I'm like technically yes lord I am. You know I'm doing my best but ultimately you're doing way for way more for me than I'll ever do for you. Wow. And I think rather than criticize the world that we need to begin to get in position where our favor can be unleashed so much so good. that the people of the world want to run to us. They want to be in the city that, we, that we're that we leading in. They want to be in the business that we're leading in. They want to be, you know, it's like Silicon Valley. Someone started in Silicon Valley and now everyone, now there's capital in Silicon Valley. You don't have even have to have a good technology. You can get funded in Silicon yeah. Valley now, you know, because of the blessing of someone who started something so good. And, it, and it built a city and so, so, I think there's something powerful about us, not so much condemning the structures, um, you know, disruptors when necessary, like Daniel yes. said. Yes, but what does it look like for us to go in and instigate the culture so much that people just want to do business with yeah. us? They want to be in business around us. They know we got customers coming in. They know that people are going to have a good experience. And so, um, I think there's something available that can get out of judgment and get into innovation. Yeah. Um, you know, ideas, methods, and products. Products. You know, we need to be people who are generating ideas, methods and products to actually establish um, cities and, and, and cultures. And I think this is the heart of the reformer. Yeah. You know, it says, hey, how can we actually go serve the interest of the whole world becoming a benefactor to the favor that's on my life? Daniel created a culture. Joseph created a culture where there were many benefactors. There were pagan benefactors, (laughs) you know, I mean, and, and, and sometimes in our religious experience, we have a hard time feeling okay with who can be the benefactors of the favor that's on my life. You know, the whole signs, wonders, and and miracles movement that's happened, you know, in the seventies, this was a new idea that people could get healed on the streets. And why was it a new idea? Because it was confronting the religious idea that non-believers can become benefactors of the kingdom. And, uh, and so I, I think there's a shift. And now, now we're starting to believe, hey, you don't have to be in a church service to get healed and you don't have to profess Jesus first to get healed. You can be a benefactor of the anointing that I carry and, and we can break the works of the devil. And so the works of the devil aren't ju- isn't just about your eternal security. The destruction of the enemy impacts your everyday life. And so I think reformation creates structures to sustain um, the benefit and the favor of the kingdom, even for those who don't know Jesus yet.
1: So good. You know, I think part of this reformation we're talking about, too, and I want to kind of bring you in on this, Brian, right now is we are learning as the body of Christ how to uh, our oneness and how to live an ascended life. I think part of this reformation is that is living the ascended life and seeing how that can impact society and systems. And I know you you've kind of been talking about this term terraforming. Would you talk about that a little bit? Share a little bit into that, Brian, and, and just talk about this whole piece. Everyone get your notepad out. What, what do you mean by terraforming? And also, I know we've talked about this. I think this is one of the pieces for Reformation is we're learning how to live in that ascending life. You know, much, many times, you know, uh, we're, we still have the revelation in the body of Christ of you know, crucifixion, dying on the cross, uh, starting to understand a little bit of the resurrection. But there's this whole other side of the ascension, ascended life that I think is going to be a real big part of this reformation.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I'd start with, you know, reformation to me is you're stripping away all the additives that have been built on a system and coming back to its origin, its original intent and design. You know, reformation isn't something new. It's, it's getting back to what it's supposed to be. And there's such a movement of deconstruction in society, you know, de- deconstruction of theology and, and so on and so on. But a lot of it is let's just destroy the system right. where this is not, that that's not fruitful. What's fruitful is let's take everything that's been built on this. That is not a part of the original intent. So then we can get back to the purity. And I think that's the piece that Drew was touching on is that then society sees, oh, the purity of what it was supposed to be in the, first place so it gives a glimpse and a window of the possibilities but terraforming is a science fiction term essentially means the building of planets or establishing uh, a climate or establishing uh, land on an existing planet it's building something that has not been seen before and so as reformation is you're taking something bringing it back to its original intent that I think there is a progression beyond reformation, and that is terraformation where, and it ties into the ascended life, we're learning to govern from the heavens to bring architecture and technology that hasn't been experienced in physical creation yet, and it begins to manifest things that have been on the heart of God, but society hasn't been prepared for because we had to get things back to the original intent to open up a framework, a window, to get where where we need to be. And so I think the ascended life is, is huge. I think most people are living at the cross, which is awesome. The cross is amazing, but we we're learning about the forgiveness of Christ, that we've been redeemed, and then the resurrection is like, hey, we have power now. But you know, Jesus ascended, and we ascended. You know, that's the place where we learn to govern, have governance in the heavens, so we have influence in the earth. That it's not about trying to get heaven to come down. It's just let's just come down where we're at. You know, it's like when we were talking about you know how, having experiences in heaven. It's like, well, just open your eyes. Like it's yeah. where you are. It's not like trying to get somewhere or trying to ascend into the place. I mean, even ascend. It's like, well, okay. It's like we're there. But I think it's our mindsets have to rise to our position in Christ, so we can actually begin to function in the mind of Christ. So there, at, there is that that wisdom like Solomon functioned in and also that revelation so that it can be applied. And I think that's one piece that's been missing is there's been revelation, but there hasn't been the application of that revelation to build out something that's actually practical and sustainable and impacting society.
1: That's so good. It reminds me of uh, the encounter we had on campus. I mean, I, when you were talking, I just remember that encounter. Um, I think we talked about this in the previous episode. But when we came down, you invited me to come down and speak at the uh, your it was like a monthly outreach, right? And I remember when I was in the hotel room hearing the phrase, um, you know, heaven invading earth, but then there are times where where we're gonna evade heaven." and understanding that. I didn't at that point, I didn't understand what was going on when when I heard that phrase. So we got into the meeting that night. And then we're so we're on the college campus, and we're in we're uh, we're in a room, and the worship's amazing. You guys have always have amazing worship. But all of a sudden, I've had this happen many times. I start seeing flashes of light in the room. And usually to me, that's angelic presence, you know, and it's happening, but it's happening at a rapid pace. And I look at you and we make eye contact. I'm like, okay, you're seeing the same thing. And so it was just, it was, a, it was a moment where, and then I, this is what I really heard the Lord say, says, this is the moment I was talking about. It. This is when you guys will invade heaven. And then talk about that encounter a little bit because remember what happened after that, what preceded, I mean, that was crazy. To this day, it's actually one of those moments that have left such an impact in my life. It was a game changer.
4: Yeah, I mean, we're in the center of a very, atheistic campus i mean the, the largest atheistic faculty in the united states of a university and so we're literally in the center in this building we weren't even supposed to be in that building and so for it to happen in that room made it even more significant and so <laughs> we had these crystals what seemed to be crystals yeah, yeah appearing and it started in a girl's hand and they're picking them up when i walked over and it's multiplying in her hand Her hand's covered in oil. There's no oil in the room. And we've got believers. There's non-believing believers. There's people that don't know God at all. Everyone's in there, and they're all seeing this. And it's multiplying all over the carpet. I mean, hundreds of crystals and then the, mo- the most skeptical guy in the room is in the back and he's just kind of his arms are folded and this stuff this. starts oh. falling from it sh- it appear in the middle of the air and fall and the largest crystal of the night goes right above this guy's head and i yep. see it and it drops and he, he's going and picking up his hair so i walked back and i said so how are you doing tonight and what was amazing was No one had to orchestrate, hey, let's transition into a worship time. Like everyone, the immediate response was awe and wonder of God and worship. And people actually came back to Christ. And people accepted Christ that night because it was such a tangible sign and wonder. So then we got it tested because I'm like, I want to know what this stuff is. So we go to the Christological Center on campus say, hey, can you test this and see what it is? And they're like, where did you get this? We're trying to explain like where we got it because we had a big bowl of it. And it was rock salt, and so I thought it was significant were the salt yep. of the earth, and it's just something that we're in the center of this campus that is in many ways a bit godless. yeah and that God would show up in that in that way that and I think it ties into what we're talking about that the the mountain aspect that we're not trying to conquer something, but we're to permeate from within.
1: that's good. I remember that night too, because multiple people i mean multiple multiple students were actually seeing the flashes of light. I mean, it just it was. It was, a, it was an intense meeting, like I remember and
4: not it, everyone enjoyed it. I, I posted on Facebook thinking, a I lot of people that. will be excited about this. No.
1: Uh, I remember one of the things. A lot of panties things, up in a bunch. I know, one of the other things was that it was, it was such a, a thick presence, it was hard to breathe. You remember that? It, was, it mm-hmm. was just like, man, it was just, I hadn't been in a meeting like that in a long time. But it was just such a significant, I love the fact that it happened on a college campus. A college campus—that's that's
3: that's amazing. So, Brian, on the on the terraforming thing. So, I think a, a powerful question to ask is, kind of in that vein, is what does heaven on Mars look like? <laughs> Absolutely. So, like one of the one of the questions I'm asking the Lord right now is yeah. <laughs> is we're so focused on our earthly dominion, like what access do we have, you know, in the cosmos? You know, I mean, obviously God has created all of this, you know, what invitation do we have? I mean, there's a lot of conversation happening in, in technology and Elon Musk is a disruptor of disruptors right now. And he's got a, he believes he's going to get to Mars in his lifetime, um, you know, he had a breakthrough uh, in rocket technology, you know, a year and a half ago with rockets that could come back and land back on the earth to make space travel sustainable. And now he's done it over 45 times um, using the same rockets. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's remarkable what's happening in that space. So, like Brian, what, what's your take on, on how in the ascended life, what actually is available and how does it interact with some of these larger concepts? Because, you know, we have intercessory prayer meetings, we have church meetings on earth as it is in heaven. And it's like, do we have to shift our language when we get to Mars? Like on, on Mars as it is in heaven. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but uh, yeah, also it confronts the mindset of, of how, of what we're focused on. Right. Yeah.
4: I mean, I was asking a question a long time ago, who's going to write the constitution when we get to Mars, who's going to establish the laws. And I had a spiritual daughter that was working with the United Nations and she was a part of a committee that's for the, the ethics of outer space. And they're literally having these conversations of, okay, when we get to these places, who's going to have the jurisdiction to establish the laws? And so while we're having these nice prayer meetings in places, there's some people thinking a bit bigger than that. And I think that's, that's the thing here. If we're going to talk about Reformation and where we're headed, we have to think cosmologically that. God is the God of the cosmos, not just the God of the earth. And that our interaction is not just even in in this place. Even if you look at our atoms, our atoms are all over the cosmos. Like there's pieces of you literally all over the place. And I think to me that that's a picture, in a sense, a type and a shadow of our access to the cosmos because of Christ. And that if we're going to see the kingdom advance, then maybe it's beyond just our
0: planet itself. I think what we're going after here, though, is proof of concept (laughs) that before we start innovating on other planets, we probably ought to prove that it works on ours. Come on. So I love this conversation. I do. Because in the same way that we want to start thinking more generationally and, and even in our technologies to be thinking generationally, there have been generations before us that, you know, in industrial revolution, we're not thinking about ecology. They, they weren't thinking generationally. So, I mean, it's called a thing generationally and cosmologically, all right? I mean, that's, that's a real deal. At the same time, I think what we're talking about right now is proof of concept. What can we do right now where we are, but still think big picture, yeah. but still think generational, still think beyond ourselves.
3: And I, I love what you said there, Daniel, because I think we have to have an awareness of what's coming so that we're reforming the structures to make sure it's serving relationship, right? Yep. So we need, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves in situations, especially in the church, where we're serving the structure rather than the structure serving us. Yep. And so I think a powerful question to ask is where is humanity going? You know, we got into the big, huge, deep discussion about technology and AI last night. And, and it's this big conversation about where we're going. Yeah. And largely one of the needs uh, for people who are, well, for all of us, as we're going towards reformation is that we actually got to know what's going on. Like we actually got to get informed, like, You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, there is so much information out there. If you don't know that your life's about to change in the next five years at a pace that's unparalleled to any other time in history, and you don't know why, because the technology is coming, like it's a massive disruptor. It's coming if you're not informed. And in Proverbs, it calls it the simple. Um, and it basically translates to the naive and the and the the simple person or the naive person is considered the fool in the book of Proverbs. It's over and over and over again. And, and so there's a real need for us to be informed, to get our head out of the sand and to really ask bigger questions about what is coming. Like if we're literally one generation away from possibly visiting Mars on a regular basis and, you know, you know, within 50 years colonizing Mars, well, then the structures that we reform today, I mean, we're, we're talking about reformation. The last one was 500 years ago. So the structures that were built 500 years ago, we're still; those are the ones we're still interacting with today. So if we're actually going to reform, we don't got to reform for the next generation. We're we're reforming for the next hundred, a couple hundred years. And so we we actually got to be informed on, about what's coming. You know, if people if people are already creating digital conscious forms of of their brain right now which is currently happening you know there are people who have a dream that their consciousness would be sustained for the next 150 years and they're documenting their lives and and it's already the computer art the computer form of a person already exists yeah like these conversations are happening you know about what long-term impact looks like and and so we gotta have we gotta have people that are working in every sector that can that can anticipate the future You know, when it comes to business, when it comes to technology, when it comes to government, when it comes to, you know, um, you know, space, you know, you know, exploration, like we got to know this stuff. This is real. It's going to impact us at a level that I think largely the church is uninformed on because we're so temporal in our thinking because we're just waiting through the sweet by and by for Jesus to return. And people don't realize that they actually are the second coming of Christ, Like the manifestation of Jesus is happening one step at a time as heaven becomes a greater reality for us, like another spot and another wrinkle comes out. And so there will be a physical manifestation of Jesus in his return, but there is a revelation of his return that's happening as we become more like Jesus. Come on, bro. And so like Jesus isn't going to return until we look like him. And so we're not waiting on God; God's waiting on us. And I think as we advance as a civilization, we got to anticipate the future and know what Jesus looks like within humanity, um, so that we can also see His re- His physical return. And so, reformation has to serve what's a you know the level of relationship that we want to walk in, or else it'll become another thing that we have to reform.
1: Now I'm sitting here and you're talking; I'm thinking about this. I think one of the things that I see in all of us. And I think it's a big part of this reformation is that all of us have this piece inside of us that's apostolic and prophetic. Like I'm looking at Dan O'Brien, I mean, all of us have this piece where there's there's a prophetic side to us, but also there's this apostolic builder side. And I think that's really one of the biggest pieces. I think it's one of the draws that's drawing us together is that we have this prophetic this prophetic side where you said it earlier. We're we're, we're trying to see what's coming but yet we have this apostolic side that's trying to build now so it could prepare for what is coming. And I think there is an ingredient in that in us in seeing that apostolic prophetic because the apostolic prophetic builds a foundation. And I know we've talked about that on a church level. But what does that look like in systems? What does that look like in where we're going? And I and I and I think that's another conversation that is uh, you know happening even right now and just some of the things that we're we're talking about I'm just even looking and just it's uh man, I'm I'm getting rocked right now. <laughs> Dub, real quick. And then I would love Daniel to jump in too, because I know you you've said some things too. Um, what was your heart behind kind of gathering all of us together? What what did you see coming out of this?
2: Man, that's a really good question. I think that uh just seeing the camaraderie that we naturally had the common passion that we all share, uh, for reformation, which is not really a discussion or a conversation that's taking place in a lot of places right now. Yeah. True. You know, so when you, when you, I mean, we were talking last night, Oh man, I met this, this person and that person and they're a reformer, man, you know, and we were, uh, tying together, you know, who else can we uh, begin to talk to and, and build community with that are, that is carrying the fire of reformation. Uh, in their hearts, you know? And so just uh, when we, when we began to meet and talk and, and have little events together, you know, in, in pairs, uh, twos here and there, uh, it just became evident that we're all for the same thing, yeah. although we all carry such a different piece, you know? And um, so my core I am statement is I am Kingdom Connection. And so I'm more congruent with that truth than any anything else that uh, you know God has ever spoken to me. And so, so it's good. just naturally um, it's natural for me to connect things yeah. and uh, people and to connect people to the kingdom. It's I can't help it. it's who I am. Yeah. And so as I began to meet all the different pieces of this Reformation alliance, it was just a natural, <laughs> Outflow. This this meeting had to happen. This conference had to happen, and so um, I don't know what all is going to come from it. I know we've got some more conversations later today to kind of flesh that out and see where it goes. Uh, but I'm. I always say, you know, if we're not changing the world, I'm not playing. Come so on. So that's what I'm looking to do, and uh, that's what I think we are assembled for.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, Dan, I'd like to ask you a question because one of the things that I, I love that you said yesterday. Uh, concerning kind of us coming together and even some of the Reformation is the the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge piece. Would you kind of share that, that revelation you had and kind of just speak into that? Yeah, um, there is a, a kind
0: of a trifecta of creativity uh, uh, in the scripture that's repeated over and over again, and it's wisdom, n- understanding, and knowledge. Uh, in Proverbs 24, it says, By wisdom a house is built through understanding it is established and through knowledge it's filled with rare and precious treasures. And, and I think what happens is that we have pursued wisdom in the birthing of a lot of things, but uh, understanding is what makes something repeatable and sustainable and knowledge is what makes it profitable. That's so, and so a lot of times we have had the wisdom to birth something but not the understanding to replicate it or to make it truly established within society. And then we haven't had the knowledge of how it can be both profitable in a financial sense but also in a societal sense. And, um, and so one of the things about the Reformational Alliance and one of the things I would encourage people to do is is seek out those that have specialties in those different areas. But, but these guys right here, what I love about them is each one has different specialties in in either wisdom or knowledge or understanding. Everybody has all of it, yeah. But there's specialties in each one, almost like the fivefold ministry of Christ: the apostles, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. But for there to be reformation, again, speaking to that a uh, 300-year period from the 14th to the 17th century where there were changes in art and in philosophy yeah. and in literature and in all these different things that reformed how the world thought, um, then you're going to have to have that trifecta of creativity present, uh, present which is uh, wisdom and knowledge and understanding working together in a synergistic relationship.
1: So good, so good. Uh lastly I have to ask you guys all this question. If somebody the listener right okay go ahead, Deb. Um
2: I gotta pause you out there because uh Dano, could you could you speak to because not everybody is fully aware of how you laid it out in that uh that one live we did, but can you speak to how these three are, those three things in their each specific way? Because that's
0: so yeah. such a cool understanding. Well, uh Matt has a real strong uh biblical gift of word of knowledge, which is um from first Corinthians chapter 12. And also we see it in the ministry of Jesus, but it's knowledge of information. One could only know by the spirit of God. And then, uh, drew Neil, uh, the Lord gave me a word over him that what Sean Bowles has done to make the word of knowledge common again in our generation that he was going to do with the word of wisdom, uh, in our generation. And, uh, and that, um, the word of wisdom is oftentimes uh, the wisdom of heaven manifesting in areas where we don't have prior experience or education. It's in the same way that you could have knowledge, factual knowledge of something that you could only know by the spirit of God. The word of wisdom is not just a wise person. Drew's a very wise person, but it's, it's not that. It's like when no one knows what to do, the answer drops from heaven of how to move forward, of how to do something different. And then Brian has such a spirit of understanding on him, uh, when I ask him a question, you know, how does this work? Brian Brian understands how yes, how things work. He know, he doesn't just understand what they are, but he knows how they work, yeah. both scientifically, spiritually, all those kind of things. And and then uh, Dub is is really a facilitator. Yep. You know, we all flow in all of them, but you also need the orchestrator of this kind of symphony. You yeah. know that that ties it all together and mobilizes it for action. And so there's something. Here in the realm of creativity, Um, the scripture says that God's thoughts towards us are as many as the sands of the seashore. It's interesting that the scripture says that God gave Solomon wisdom, understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. And then Corinthians says, That through Christ, now we have access to the mind of God, which is the thoughts as many as the sands of the seashore, which tells me that this one off that happened with Solomon of actually having uh, wisdom, understanding and knowledge as vast as the seashore was actually accessing the mind of Christ. It was a forerunner and a foreshadowing of what the new creation would have through new birth in Christ Jesus.
2: That's so fire. Oh my And uh, I don't think I said this in the last podcast we did. If we did, Cassidy can edit this out. But uh, I've said for a few years now, um, the Lord spoke to me about how we are the Solomon generation. Yeah. And the fact that um, the first three kings in scripture, Saul, David, and Solomon uh, are actually uh, showing different moves that took place on the earth. So Saul represents Adam, who was man's choice that fell. David represents Jesus. Uh, because he he conquered everything in order to build the kingdom, but he wasn't allowed to build the kingdom because why he had blood on his hands. And so Jesus, you know, he took the nails in his hands for us, but that releases us to be the Solomon generation. Solomon didn't work for the kingdom that he built. He inherited it and then he stewarded it well through wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And so Jesus already conquered the kingdom. Is it, We fight from victory. You know, it's already done. And so Jesus already purchased everything, conquered everything. And all we have to do is steward well what he has gifted us, the inheritance that he's given us. And, you know, so Solomon, who had an old nature, he didn't ha- even have the new nature. He, he is the closest leader, you know, throughout Scripture that of what it looks like when, when the so kingdom good. is on earth. There was Scripture says that there was peace in all the boundaries of his land. You know, it says that silver was like rocks in the road, like there was so much prosperity. And so if you have peace and prosperity, you can't tell me there wasn't joy there. (laughs) And he ruled righteously, you know, And, and so you have righteousness, peace and joy, which is the manifestation when the kingdom of God is present, you know. And the only thing that took him out was he didn't have that intimacy in the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. And so we with the new nature, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, have the capability now with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to manifest the kingdom fully on earth. So we are the Solomon generation. That gets That's me all good. jacked up.
1: So lastly, you guys, um, for those for the listener listening today, what could be a first practical step if they're feeling that just kind of brewing within them that resonating with what we're talking about, reformation what is the first practical step they can take, maybe towards that? What does that look like for uh, the, the listener? The-
3: our our motivator cannot be the structure; has to be people. So, oftentimes, when we think about solving a problem, we go right to the problem and just say, "How can the how can we come up with a solution that will be, you know, will change the situation?" But what I think is really important is that we start with the interest of people. And really understand that if the solutions we're coming up with are going to serve them. So the spirit of adoption is the first thing I think we have to be motivated by. Um, To disciple a nation, you have to first commit to love that nation from a father or mother heart and a nation is a people group. It's not a landmass with borders, although it can be that, but I mean, it's, you know, how do we actually disciple the nation of our neighborhood or the nation of our business or the nation of our extended family? This is the biblical mandate for reformation for me is the the discipleship of nations. And so we got to count the cost to actually be in the game to not capitalism can simply just solve a problem and it'll make a person money. Um, and so I think I, you know, a product can solve a problem and making money isn't a bad thing, but if it actually isn't solving a problem to make someone's life better, that's where we can, you know, we get it wrong even in society sometimes. And so, um, so reformation is going to require us first adopt a people group. Secondly, we dignify them with the insurmountable value of the kingdom. And then we take responsibility for God's heart towards their problems, and we solve those problems. So I had an encounter with the Lord where I was realizing that the gospel was made to solve the world's greatest problems. And so then I went right to the Lord, and I'm like, okay, well, if this can solve the world's greatest problems, Lord, what problems do you want me to solve? And he just simply said, Drew, maybe you should ask me who you're supposed to adopt. He goes, and then solve their problems. And so there's really a responsibility that comes with it that's beyond just, oh, I was great, and I solved a problem and now deal with my, my solution (laughs) It's like, no, like actually what problems do you need me to solve? You know, it's like you can go, I was in Haiti and I was, um, problem solving with some friends there, um, as to, you know, how we can generate more economy within agriculture and different things. And I was like, you know, Hey, well we should like, there's no fishing happening in Haiti. Like we need to open up a port. We need to like, get this going. We need to like, we could easily put this together. And I, and I came with this whole concept and, and (laughs) my dear Haitian friend was like, uh, Drew, um, we're scared of water. We don't go in water. And like, and I I just solved all their problems for them, you know, and figured out a way we could sustainably create, you know, more food distribution in Haiti. And he's like, "Um, no, that that actually doesn't solve our problem. You know, um, if and Drew, as you get to know us, zing, Drew, as you get to know us, you'll find out how the problems you want to solve can truly, you know, meet our needs and not just you know, come up with an idea. So good. And so I, I think that so good dignifies people with value that says, I'm willing to listen to your story. I'm willing to sit down. I'm willing to go at the pace of we, and not the pace of my ideas. Yeah. And I think starting there is, is a great spot. It's beautiful. And I think that really is in keeping with the
0: Solomon metaphor is that the Lord said, you can have anything you want. And he said, I want wisdom to lead your people and to serve your people. And out of that heart, it was God's good pleasure to give him this vast trifecta of creativity, That's of good. wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And so that heart of love, yeah. you know, love builds a bridge through which exchange happens, yeah. uh, both on a heavenly and an earthly level that then brings solutions. And, um, and so adopting and, uh, and loving, I think is, you know, it sounds so kind of beauty pageant world peace kind of thing, but it really is a practical step to uh, beginning to access solutions it's really good
3: you know there's a huge conversation about gaining influence in christianity right now um the influence isn't for you like me gaining influence isn't for me it's actually a mechanism that's designed to create transformation and opportunity for other people it's good and so it's, it's, it's just that clarification of the purity of motivation right yep um, it's like, why, why are we going after these things? Why, why do we need wisdom and understanding yeah. and knowledge? It's actually for the, it's once again, that benefactor piece, right? It's for the benefit of a whole nation, for a whole tribe. And I think discipling nations is, the reason we haven't discipled nations is I think because in the Great Commission, it's the thing that costs the most. Like it'll cost you to have faith for resurrection of the dead because you might look like a fool if someone doesn't raise up from the dead after you pray. But what's true is that in a moment, either they're dead or they're alive. And it's a moment. Discipling nations is going to cost you your life. Like discipling nations, because it comes with a personal responsibility that says, I'm going to walk out the process with you as a human because I can't dignify your value if I show up, give you my idea, and then I walk away. And so there's something powerful about saying, hey, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to walk this out with you. And it's like, you know, Dano, you've done such a great job encouraging people to take responsibility for the prophetic words, right? And saying, if you're going to have the courage to give the word, you know, and especially if it's directive in nature, then you got to accept responsibility for that word and be willing to follow up and make sure that that word can be implemented, you know, or else it can be the typical chaos. Prophet shows up, stirs a pop, bounces, and then you got to deal with the mess. And I think it's the same thing for discipling nations is that we can't just show up and have ideas about how to solve their problems. We gotta actually say, hey, how do you wanna live? How do you communicate yeah. your culture? What What do you actually need? How can we actually serve you and not just serve the interests of saying, hey, I showed up and had a good idea, you should deal with it so that it's you okay. can look like me.
1: No, I love what you're saying, both you guys, because it's so practical, because I think sometimes um, what what happens is we wanna bring solutions to people. And so we become so good, at giving solutions, but what happens when there's not a heart connection, we become like a car salesman. We're giving them solutions, but we're not connecting their hearts. You know, I was reading a, a book and there was this phenomenal um, story they share about a, a city in Africa uh, where they were actually just, they had no restroom, so there was just feces everywhere. So a group comes in and they, they build these really nice uh, toilet areas. But still, when they went back, not everybody was using these toilets. And part of it is because these toilets actually were um, built in such a way that they were nicer than most of the people's homes. And so they go in, and so the guy finally connects his heart to the people, starts getting around the people, so connects his heart to the people. Then what happens, he begins to tell them, you know, share with them and ask questions. He asks questions that helps them see the problems, and now they're wanting the solution. And I think that's what we're talking about. That's exactly, and it's the practical step because if we just give solutions without people owning the problem, but yet first us connecting to their hearts, we're not going to get anywhere.
3: Yeah, it's a family. It's a family-based protocol. Yep. To, uh, and how we solve Ooh. problems. It's saying, I believe that the culture of family, which is covenant, accepting responsibility, spirit of adoption, that this is the best way yep. to initiate how yep. we're going to begin to solve
1: problems. So good. All right, guys. So real quick, thank you guys for being on this episode. How can uh, people who are listening around fall? you be able to glean from you and check out your resources? Start with you, Deb. We'll go around. So you can find my resources
3: at www.kingdomstatesman.com. How about you, Drew? Hey, everybody. You can go to DrewNeal.com, and uh, you can find me there. I'm on all the social platforms. Let's be friends.
0: Awesome. How about you, Brian? dot I-B-O-R-M-E.com. Awesome. What about you, Dano? Mine, you can find out more at PropheticCompany.com.
1: Thank you guys for being on the show today. The Reformation Alliance has assembled. And uh, we're going to have to do a couple more episodes, guys, because there are so many more things I wanted to talk about. We'll have to get it out in some future episodes. Guys, make sure to check out the show notes as you will be able to continue to follow up with any of the Reformation Alliance. You'll be able to see how to follow them on social media and check out their websites. And if this podcast has enriched your life, make sure to subscribe. And would you share this with podcast with a friend or family member as we believe there is breakthrough on these episodes that will bring breakthrough into someone's life and it will help us to extend our reach. Thank you once again for listening to this show today. Until next time, I'm Matt Gonzalez and we are out. Be blessed.